being a female and all of my sittings, the younger, has been quite a challenge. Mm -hmm. So whether I was younger than my direct reports or younger than my peers, that created always additional challenges. And the fact that I was very often the only female in the room also created challenges. So when you add your two problems, and I want to say that I put air quotes to that, being a female and being a, a young individual, I had to fight to demonstrate my legitimacy. Hey, Laurie, welcome to Bite Size Law. How are you? Hi, Sid. I'm doing fine. I'm doing great, actually. Thank you for asking. Great. Laurie, I've been closely following you on LinkedIn for quite some time, and I've been really excited and looking forward to having this conversation with you ever since we touched base, maybe a couple of months back. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that listeners who would join on to this episode would definitely be excited to see your face on the podcast banner because you're an absolute <laughs> rock star at the legal operations oh world. My God. Uh, I don't think I am, but I, I love hearing it. But oh, yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So so really excited. And once again, I appreciate you for taking that taking this time out to, you know, speak with me. But before we yeah, before we dive deep, you know, it's worth mentioning to the listeners that normally on Bite Size Law episodes, we specifically focus on certain topics within the legal operations world or the legal tech world. However, today's episode is gonna be a little different. We are gonna focus on Laurie as a person, how her, you know, trajectory has been in the professional world. And also definitely we will talk about the whole subject matter related, you know, items within the legal operations world. So without any further ado, again, welcome Laurie to Bite Size Law. And let's start off by, you know, asking you to do a quick intro, even though there's going to be an elaborate intro later. Sure. Thank you first for inviting me. I really, really like your podcast, so I feel very honored that you wanted to interview me for it. So thank you. Okay, so quick bio. Do you want to know how I started off actually in the legal profession? Oh, yes, absolutely. Let's, you know, have a flashback of your you know, yeah. journey. Yeah, not it was a long time ago. Okay, so nothing fancy. I went to the school. I'm a lawyer by training and I've practiced many years at such Specificity is not in French, and I'm sure you can hear it. And I've started off my career over there. So I, I studied in the region where I am from in France, which is Provence, my law school there. Then I went to Denmark, like an exchange with the law school there. I went to the business school as well in Denmark in Aarhus. And when I came back to France, I did another year of spe specialization to be a hired actually into a law firm as a lawyer in a law firm, very, very traditional, nothing fancy again. The only thing is that I hated it. <laughs> I just didn't want it. And I'm sure that are many amazing law firms. I know there are amazing law firms. Just for me, it was just not the right model. I needed not to have this narrowed niche view. My personality makes me happy when I have this bird eye view over everything and I can laser focus on what needs to be done at a specific so that's why I jumped in house and I, I had the chance to join a company, an international company that was opening its French office back mm -hmm. in Paris. Mm -hmm. 
And even though I was a young lawyer, corporate and business lawyer, and I was doing my my lawyery work, I was hands-on into building a business. You can. All the aspects of building a business. So obviously business development, but also how you build a team, a successful team. How do you mentor? How do you train? How you, do you create this cohesion? How do you manage a budget? How do you manage hard conversations? How do you manage facilities? So all of that was very, very interesting. And what I really enjoyed doing what I did at the time, and I actually ended up managing the office a few years later, I knew that I wanted something more. I just didn't know what exactly. And my employer at the time came with the opportunity of switching gear and becoming a project manager, an international project manager. There was this international regulation called FATCA, issued by the US, but with international consequences, that was just enacted. And the company obviously had to comply with it as well as its own clients. And the first the first reporting was due six, eight months from now. Mm-hmm. And nothing was up. Like nothing. Oh my god. So they said, okay, you're managing our French office, you're still doing a great job, but we know that you want more. We know that you can do more. We have this workforce that you want you to lead, but it has to be out of Toronto, Canada. Okay. So at the time, funny personal story, I just met my now husband a few months before. So I went home, met with my date and said, okay, you know what? How do you feel like crossing an ocean? <laughs> So I was wow. sure he would say no, and just that would sound the end of it. But um, he said yes, and he came in with me. So that's how we both ended up in Toronto in 2015 to run this project to my career. And I cannot tell you enough how important it is to have the best partner ever. Because Absolutely. I didn't have it. So initially, it was just for one or two years, not a huge commitment uh, anyways. But the team that I built, we were so successful in what we we've been doing that the company decided to create the function for us. So we'll continue to do and to to implement other big international regulations. So that's what we've done. And that's what I've, I've spent doing for a few years in addition to other things. And this position specifically gave me the opportunity to have this real-life view that I was mentioning before, but across all of our business and operations worldwide. Mm-hmm. And this is where it became very obvious to me that something was broken when mm-hmm. it comes to processes, business processes specifically, and a lot of money and, and human resources were wasted. So I came to the CEO at the time and I just shared very candidly this fact. And I came obviously with also a suggestion. And I said, okay, I think I can fix this one specifically. Let's use it as a pilot. Let's see if I can quit. And if that brings any value for you as well. If it doesn't, fair enough. Mm-hmm. And does, let's create a function. Yep. And it so we created the the new of business process optimization until an opportunity came up with my current role to join a Fortune Global 500 company and to lead the operations and the strategy for the general council, the global general council. So that's my current position. I'm the CEO for, for the GC of this company. We have 
So into the GC reports to the department, the compliance department, and uh, the public affairs department as well. So altogether, it's a bit more than 1,000 people worldwide, mostly spread across 13 jurisdictions in Asia and North America. We have a few people in Europe as well, but it's it's not our core operations. So this is it. Yeah. All my career led me to this point in time. And to conclude, I could say that what I do today as a COO, as a legal ops professional, is a perfect aggregation of everything that I've done throughout my career. I get to be surrounded by lawyers, speak lawyer, yep. be understood them, understand me. Yep. And I obviously manage a lot of projects. As you can imagine, I obviously optimize a lot of things. So everything that I've done is concentrated into my job today. So that's amazing to hear like not only did I grow, but I also consolidated everything. I'm doing everything all along today. That's fantastic. Yeah, getting to do what you love on a daily basis is something that not everyone is blessed with. So that's amazing. But Laurie, as you mentioned business process optimization prior to, you know, heading the legal operations for your current company. So was business process optimization other terminology for, uh, you know, legal operations at that time or, or how different was it? You can, you can say it that way. Legal operations is a lot of things if you think about it. It all depends on the need of your current company. So at the time, optimizing processes was a huge need. It was not called legal operations, but this is exactly what I do day to day, day in and day out here in my official legal ops position. Same for project management. I did a lot of project management in my previous career. And today I do a lot of project management yeah. because this is how we work. Everything we do is project-based, if you think about it. At least this is what my current employee needs. Another company may need something else. But I do feel, based on my own experience, that project management, business process optimization are two core pillars of what legal ops person will. Okay, absolutely. So I, when I started off my career, this was around 12 years back. So I also am a trained lawyer, was working in India in a, you know, a law firm. But when you stated that, you know, you just didn't feel right when you were in that law firm environment. For me, it was sort of similar because well, back in India, at least, there was a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of uh, politics within the litigation industry. So I wanted to step out of that. I wanted to focus on corporate compliance, did that for a bit. And then I stumbled upon legal technology. At that time, CLM or contract management as a thing was booming. This was back in 2014, where at that time we were making playbooks for uh, legal departments and general counsels to manage their internal contracts. But at that time, I did not know that some of the stuff that I do is actually helping the operation side of a law firm or a law department. But right now, it has a different title called, you know, legal operations. So I completely resonate with what you just said. Yeah. Having said that, at least early on in your career, what were the important lessons, you know, transitioning from law firm environment to, you know, step, setting up business process optimization and now being the head of legal operations for, you know, man alive. So how has, what, what kind of lessons have this, you know, transition taught you over these years? So the lessons I've learned a lot was really linked to the actual positions I held, but more who I was as an individual and as a person. So that 
people I'm sure resonates in our female audience today, but being a female and in all of my settings, the younger has been quite a challenge. Mm -hmm. So whether I was younger than my direct reports or younger than my peers, that created always additional challenges. And the fact that I was very often only female in the room mm. also create own challenges. So when you add your two problems, and I want to say that I put air quotes to that, being a female and being a, a young individual, I had to fight <laughs> to demonstrate my legitimacy <laughs> and that's complicated. That's a challenge that you don't need when you start a new job, that you don't need deliver. Like you still have to fight battles. So that's uh, that was one of the biggest challenges that I had throughout my career. And I still have it, let's be honest. It's yep. uh, it's a it's everyday challenge. Mm. Another challenge that I faced in my career, regardless of the positions, was and still is that I'm I'm an OBS person, so I always tell the truth, even if it's the hard truth. With years and wisdom, I learned how to explain that uh, yep. very mindfully. Yeah. Uh, that even was successfully, so I can really achieve my goals. But especially when I was younger, I wouldn't have this wisdom, and therefore I would just tell you the truth. So that's uh, that's a challenge I had to to overcome. For myself, learn how true, but still true um, in a very mindful and efficient way. Yeah. Yes. And that's me. Yeah. No, I was just saying sometimes when you mind, sorry, some blatantly tell someone uh, an honest answer, they might not receive it well, even though, you know, you're speaking your mind in the most reasonable manner. But yeah, over the years, that's also something that I've learned. Doesn't matter if you're right or wrong, it's always about, you know, how you say it and how you explain it and, you know, ensure yeah, that the other yeah. person understands where you're coming from. Uh, I, I do think it does matter. It has to matter. I want to, to, to trust that it does matter that you're right, whether you're right or wrong. But there is no absolute truth um, or absolute mistakes, right? So being mindful of the context and being mindful of how you deliver the information is key to you know, crossing those bridges and, and that's very important. And also the last challenge that I think is may also resonate with our audience is that being a truth teller, people, some people may be tempted to use you as a shield and oh. therefore you would tell their truth on their behalf. So when I was young, I would fight all the battles possible. <laughs> Every time I wasn't fair, I would just go for it. So that's obviously a challenge in, the, in a professional setting, but also in a personal one, let's be honest. So I had to, well, choose my battles, really. You don't want other people to use you for their uh, individual battles, you know. Exactly. That's important to be the voice of those who cannot have one or want to have one as long as, and this is what I've learned, as long as this is fair to everyone, legit, yep. and also especially in a professional context, you need to make sure that you are you are leading the charge to make an actual impact on the majority of your operations in, in, in the context of the ops. Yep, exactly. So absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, Laurie. Switching gears a little bit, let's talk uh, about legal operations. And I'm curious to know, especially since you work for Manlife, a Fortune 500 company, I want to know 
how legal operations as a uh, as a function perform I mean, not perform is not the right word legal operations function in the organization for example you know i've interacted with many law departments where they've approached us to implement clm solutions so in most of law legal operations teams that i've interacted with they mostly look at you know just a clm product just to streamline their contracting processes so specifically speaking for a fortune 500 company or a huge organization what does a legal operations function entail i mean do you guys look at different tools or i mean it's just something out of curiosity where how do you ensure that legal operations bring the legal team together and how do you run that business side of things for of the legal department in a huge company i mean i'm not specifically asking about manual life but from your experience you know i'm pretty sure that you've interacted with similar people like you from fortune 500 companies so how does everything fit together in such a massive organization especially you know from a legal operations perspective i guess the short answer is hardly it's hardly <laughs> but really there is no there is no magic recipe it's so different across the various companies not the needs are, not all the needs are similar not every gc has the same needs yeah. or uh, you really need to understand to the core what are the problems mm-hmm. what are the needs that you are trying to address and how do you help build that and for me and i know you are a clm expert and i really respect that but for me tech is not solution for me tech is an enabler yeah so yes i love tech yes i want tech and yes we need tech but not before understanding where we are where we want to go and all the steps in between and that takes time yeah and larger money is longer it's going to take but you have amazing people out there who can do that without signing a tremendous amount of, of great consultants who can do that i do that every day in my job um and i've done that in the past in in some to some extent as well so it's very different but at the same time the path i think is very similar take the time to understand take take the time to connect because a lot of people are going to come to you with their problems or what they think their problems are but when you start scratching the surface a little bit you realize that the root cause of that problem is not what they think it is so if you were to fix what they bring to your table you would not actually fix the problem you would put a bandaid on yep. and series of bandaid is making the structure much more fragile yep. so what you want is to strip things down go to the bottom of it and build again from the ground up. Yep. So I'm not pretending that you can do that with a multinational like the one I'm working with right now, but um, you kind of need to do that in, in, in some way or another. You yep. need to understand. Yep. And then you detect what you want to, to do, but not before understanding why you need it and how you need it. Exactly. Yeah, this is uh, I 100% agree with you because whenever I've interacted with other people sometimes I do consultations for companies that want to choose a CLM product. So what the first thing that I tell them is you need to first have internal understanding as to where things are 
in terms of your contracting processes because tech is not a magic wand that is going to solve all your problems. Sometimes if you don't have your processes ready, tech is just going to exacerbate your existing situation. So do not go with this notion. Do, do not go with this notion that, oh, we buy a Salem product, we plug and play it and everything is going to be alleviated. That is because that's going to be a disastrous because I've actually worked with companies that bought um, the CLM solutions, spent hundreds thousands of dollars. And when you get into those requirement gathering sessions with the implementation partner, you'll see a different world out there where they're not sure what kind of contract types they want to implement. They do not know what their existing tech stack is. Like, you know, do you want integration with Salesforce and things like that? So I 100% agree. Tech is not the final solution. Like you rightly mentioned, tech is an enabler and not... Uh, and you know what? A lot of things as well that um, not ops people don't necessarily anticipate is the time needed to prepare, the time needed to get ready. Implementation, which is the client-facing part of the project, the one that people actually see, is one of the very last steps. Yep. All the prep forward is critical to the success of that, that implementation at the end. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, people don't understand why um, you've been here for X amount of time and they still didn't see something. Exactly. That's... And that's actually a good sign because if you hire someone and two months later you have a new tech, my God, you should be scared, yep. really. Uh, absolutely, because it's not that simple at the end of the day. And uh, if you have such an easy implementation, that also shows you that maybe you haven't, have, you haven't had a change management process already set in place because... It's not just about implementation of technology. You know, you need to roll it out to the larger audience as well within your organization. And if people are not ready to embrace that technology, then it's just a waste of time and money um, overall. Absolutely. You are very, very right. This is very often completely overlooked. The change management aspect, a lot of people talk about it without even knowing what that actually means. What do you do to manage the change? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you someone who, and you just ask that question, okay, give me five bullet points of change management action. What did you do? When did you do it? How did you do it? Most of the time, these people cannot answer. This is an actual discipline change management. And I personally partner with uh, an expert within my, my company who's not working for my team, but I just identified the need and my own um, limitations. And I have an expert over there. Why would I try to do it myself? Let's partner. Let's do it together so I can learn from you as well and, you know, become better at what I do. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because there are certain clients or customers that I work for that have a stellar project management process. They are thorough from start to finish. They have an existing change management process because... As, like you rightly mentioned, change management process is not something that you have to think about towards the end of the project. You have to think about it from the very beginning. You need to have your, you know, uh, what do you call the, the plan ready from the get-go because it's unfair to the employees or your fellow workers also to embrace a technology that they don't know about. So having the training ready, having 
bringing those key stakeholders together to understand what their perspective is about implementing this technology is essential. So is that, so, I mean, this is a good segue to my next question. So I was going to ask, what are the challenges that you generally face in your role? Or if you could at least educate other legal operators in the field, like the common challenges that they could face and how they could be better equipped to, you know, overcome these challenges in the legal operations function. So what would be your, you know, thoughts on that? (laughs) That's a very easy question. <laughs> I, again, that all depends on the company. Some companies are very aware of the added value of the develops team and will invest in it. Therefore, your challenges will be minimal. Mm-hmm. Or at least from a financial aspect, your challenges will be minimal. You can have others around for what we just said, change management, for instance. Some other companies don't really get it. And therefore, anytime there is a need to reduce costs, it's going to be first on the legal ops team. So in a nutshell, I would say that the biggest challenge for a legal operations professional is or are budget constraints. Mm-hmm. And for the various reasons, as I said, not everybody is able to understand to understand the, the 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 strategy of this function and therefore they cut costs first there. But also I would like to say that while budget constraints is certainly the greatest challenge for our profession, I think it's also one of the greatest opportunities. Why? Because that forces you outside of your comfort zone. So you learn and you grow. That forces you to think outside of the box. So you become creative. You are going to be able to think of doing something differently from what everybody else does. Mm-hmm. And this is very rewarding. Personally, that's one of the things I prefer in my job, having to find creative solutions. Think outside of that freaking box that everybody wants to you to fit because that's another thing with, with legal operations. Because there is no training, there is no actual curriculum to become a legal ops professional, you have a variety of profiles, yeah. which makes our community so rich. But this is very destabilizing for people looking from the outside in because they cannot fit us in. Correct. And this freedom of not fitting in a box, that can be destabilizing, but that's also one of our greatest opportunities. So you want to get money? want to get in my budget sure let's try to do things differently now yeah i guess a legal operations like you said there are so many opportunities here you get to think out of the box and that's one of the biggest advantages of people for people working in a legal operations role but sometimes there are some people who want to follow a structured approach you know for those kind of people who want to know oh what their daily tasks are going to be tasks are going to be what kind of role they're stepping into. For example, as a project manager, you have your role is pretty much defined. You have to, you know, when the project starts, you need to have your project plan ready. You need to get all the teams together. You need to manage your budget. You need to see, uh, I mean, manage client communication. But legal operations, you wear different hats, right? Today, you probably would be a project manager. Tomorrow, you're a firefighter, you know, uh, fighting. Uh, <laughs> That's what <not> you. <laughs> That's so true. You need to be very comfortable with the uncertainty. Multitasking, but but wearing different hats at different times. Yes, you have to. That's for sure. So, how do you see the role of legal operations evolving in, or how have you seen the legal operations role evolve in the last few years? We touched upon it uh, initially when we were talking about the business process optimization side of things. 
like since you are a leading practitioner in the legal operations world so how have you what is your take on how it's evolved over the years so my personal experience showed me that this profession this discipline has evolved really towards a more structured function and also towards a more strategic position legal ops restarted as a function trying to or a role on the side of a desk trying to fix problems as they come. So very reactive. Now, roles, and my, starting with mine, are more and more strategic, long-term vision. And this is exactly what I do. I hire, as part of my team, I hire people to fix things. Others are working on the short, mid-term vision, and others will be working alongside me or the long-term vision. So this is something that I've seen happening more and more over the past few years, uh, and a more structured discipline as well. Because if you if you look a bit at the ecosystem, you can really see that there are more and more attempts at well bringing that structure, trying to put together some kind of a, of a curriculum design, also the job description, job profile, and those attempts are yet isolated but very powerful as well. And one instance I can I can share with you is that a few months ago, I think it was in March, with a few other seasoned legal ops professionals across North America, I was invited by Harvard Law School to full day workshop on legal operations and the interaction with ESG, which is not a discipline that we cover as legal ops professionals. But when you think about it and when you talk with your peers, you realize that you could have much greater impact on this topic mm. because of on what you do in the heart of the organization. So that's really demonstrating where we are going as professionals. ESG again, the relation between us and ESG is very strong. This is another topic on which I talked at Clock Vegas, the CGI earlier this year as well. And KPMG was hosting the panel in which I was invited to, to speak at. And this is really powerful what we can do, what we can contribute to, what we can support is almost unlimited. Mm. Because our profession is not fitting in that box that we've mentioned, the sky is the limit. Yep. We can contribute, we can help mold and shape the organization and GC's organization in the best way possible to support the business, move the needle on various aspects, whether it's ESG in this instance, but DEI as well. Mm-hmm. We, the relationship we have and we manage with the law firms through the panel for the panel, this is very strong. We can really leverage them and, and collect the, the AI metrics and data to take action on them, not just for the sake of collecting. A lot of people are just collecting AI or collecting AI, but no, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in saying, okay, what do you do? Where do you fit in, my, in, in the DEI picture? And how do I want to take action on that? How do I want to leverage you and what you do great on that aspect to enhance and support the effort? Um, yep. So long story short, this is really it. We have a role to play and we are shaping our own future. Oh yeah, that's a fascinating point. In one of the posts, I happened to read an article about Harvard workshop that you did 
about ESG and the AI and I've been, you know, I'm also getting educated about the whole concept about ESG. And it's a really interesting point because this is not something that normally people talk about, especially when you look at legal operations, right? The link between legal operations and its connection with managing ESG and diversity, equity and inclusiveness. It, it's wonderful. And, and I'm grateful that you brought that up because I guess, especially people in the legal operations world, should, I believe should talk more about compliance with ESG and at least educate people because more often than not, when I speak to other people, they don't even know what ESG is. It's it's fairly, I wouldn't say it's a new concept, but maybe it ties in with your CSR, the co- corporate social responsibility aspect, but ESG has taken off in the recent few years. And I think there's a lot to be talked about that aspect. For sure. Again, switching gears a little bit here, uh, we briefly talked about technology and you rightly mentioned that technology is not the end solution or it's it's more of an enabler than, you know, a magic pond. But how do you see uh, the role of legal operations changing in the next five to 10 years and how big of an impact technology can play to, you know, change that uh, scenario? You know, how, what do you feel about, you know, technology and how it's going to shape legal operations in the next few years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so, well, there is the, the elephant in the room that is Gen AI, of course, and I will not fall into, into this topic. I think we've heard a lot, probably way too much about <laughs> Gen AI, yeah. but it's, it's obvious that that will unleash tremendous capabilities for the law department in general, but not only, by the way. Uh, what I personally am very eager to see is how legal tech will become a true assistant mm. to legal personnel lots, lawyers, non-lawyers as well. So they can really focus on added value, on intellectually challenging tasks. I'm not one of those who are afraid that legal tech is going to take our jobs. I don't think so. I, I really think that it's it will rather create capacity where today there is none. Yep. Basic examples, legal research. How long do paralegals clerks spend doing manual legal research. So I'm not saying let's just use Gen AI for that. We've seen the right? So we do not want that. But I'm confident that sooner rather than later, the AI will be able to do a pre-search that will be very robust so that our our legal personnel will be able to really come through those resulting results to extract the most significant caseload. And that is going to save a tremendous amount of time. So that's a very obvious, very basic example of, of how tech will shape the future of our jobs. And again, just creating capacity. Instead of spending 10 hours doing legal research on this case, I'm just going to spend three of them to refine the results, validate the results that the AI would have provided to us. So I see this capability of the technology in basically everything that we do. Mm-hmm. If you think about Microsoft, and, and I'm going, by the way, to be one of the testers very, very soon uh, for our company, I still need to wait and see, but I'm very confident that even if it's not tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, it may be that I will not have to do my PowerPoints anymore. Mm-hmm. My deck will be prepared by the technology and I will just have to fine tune it and it's going to be hours, say. Yeah, I definitely so, like that to some extent. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
taking away all of those tasks that are time consuming and I'm not really using my brain for what it's good at or good for us. Correct. Uh, oh, yeah. Like you rightly mentioned, tech should be an enabler. And when people talk about AI or when people hear uh, the whole concept about artificial intelligence, they sort of paint a doomsday scenario in their brain, right? Oh, the robots, robots are coming for you. Uh, we're going to lose all our jobs. But like you rightly mentioned, if you can use your brain for much more strategic and value-generating tasks and let the tech do all those mundane, day-to-day processes that can be automated. And like you rightly mentioned, I hate doing PowerPoint presentations, but if there's a system that can do my PowerPoint presentations, I would definitely jump on that bandwagon and focus on something else that is uh, much more value-generating. Absolutely. And I think it's just a... The natural evolution of things. Let's focus our attention and what we know, what our brain is able to create to tasks that add value for us and for the company. Yeah. And as uh, legal operators, as or at least as legal operations professionals, like you rightly mentioned earlier, you get to see, you get to wear different hats, but at the same time, you get to interact with different sets of people. For example, you as a lawyer, can talk about subject matter-related stuff with fellow lawyers or people from the legal department. At the same time, you can actually talk with implementers about technology, AI. So that also is a is a good st- you know step in the right direction. Absolutely, I think I heard that in, in France. This kind of profile of lawyer who's more techie, who's more savvy when it comes to project management. I've heard that they are calling that an, an augmented lawyer. And I like that idea because this is exactly what I've become by all the experience that I have accumulated over the years. I started up as a lawyer. So your point, I can speak to lawyers, be understood. I can understand them and I can translate that to my IT people, to my finance people, to my change management people, that's to my comms people. That's amazing. This is really, for me, the natural evolution of a lawyer who has this mindset of wanting to fix, wanting to support, but also wanting more than just practicing law, which is amazing. Don't get me wrong. I had last thing a lawyer. I really love that. But I also wanted more than that. And I feel when I discovered legal ops, I will always remember, have the picture in my head. I was almost back from my second bad leave and I was contacted by a recruiter for a job at Apple mm-hmm. for leading the legal ops function. And I never heard of legal operations before my life. So I Googled it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, Mario Carroll's blogs 2014, I think, or 2015. What was it? Anyways, one of her blogs. And when she explained what legal ops was and where she was seeing that going, I remember ending the video, looking at my husband and saying, oh my God, this is exactly what I've been doing all those years without even knowing it. Exactly. And this is exactly that. Just looking for more, looking beyond the first step, asking why and why and why all the time. Most people are worried by that, but that's also what makes us very successful at what we do. We just scratch young surface. Absolutely. That's, uh, I just instantly got a dose of motivation, you know, when you <laughs> share that aspect. So 
Again, I did my law school back in 2011. At that time, you know, we never had anything. I, I We solely relied on law, what do you call it? law libraries, textbooks to do our research. Maybe the final year of law school, I had a computer uh, with, you know, the Microsoft license and everything. I took a break from my professional career and went back to law school in 2018 here in Toronto. At that time also, even though we were using computers to prepare presentations and also to write exams, as a in the law curriculum, I did international business law as a ma- for my master's, but nothing about technology was even mentioned in any of the, you know, curriculums. We had an odd workshop here and there talking about, you know, how technology can play a role in the future and stuff like that. But I still feel when I interact with law faculty members as well as law students that there is a general lack of understanding about an alternative legal career other than, you know, litigation practice, you know, growing up to becoming a partner or a GC. Absolutely. And that's exactly my own experience. Back in France, it's the same. You go to law school and you either end up in-house or in a law firm. Correct. That's basically two options. And that's why I feel this Harvard Law School, the Center for Legal Profession event so good because at the end of the day, they brought, I don't remember, I think it was last year, law school students to the theater and they asked us questions. Mm-hmm. What is it that you do? Oh, that's interesting. So I can actually do something else with my law degree. And I will even personally go beyond that. You don't need law degree to become a very successful legal operations professional. There are many people out there who have zero law degree and they are so good at what they do. Yeah. Think about Jen McCarron. That's yeah. she's the perfect example. Right? Exactly. Yeah. But there are so many other people out there who have no legal training. I think I don't think Mary has a, a legal background either. Okay. And she's obviously amazing at what she's doing. Absolutely. So you don't need to go to law school to be a successful developed person. That helps. I won't lie. Speaking the same language helps. And in terms of credibility as well, going back to what we started discussing at the beginning, yes, it helps, but it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what would be your advice to especially young professionals trying to switch into or trying to step into the legal operations role or Law students, again, completed law school, what would be your advice when it comes to finding a legal operations role and how can we make it, I mean, seem like, you know, oh, you know what, you're not just going to be just a designated paralegal, sorry, like a getting a brain fade when it comes to that word. So, but how can we educate people to be much more enthusiastic about legal operations role and how you can help them get into this operations role if they're interested? Yeah, so I would I would say just check it out. Go out there. Read books authored by actual legal ops people. Uh, by the way, spoiler alert, I am contributing to a book that will be out, I think, oh. for the end of the year. So follow me if you want to know more on my LinkedIn profile. I will post there. So there are great books. Stephanie Brenton, she edited a book that is called Legal Up, uh, Running Legal as a Business. Mm-hmm. Business, which is also the name of her new conference, by the way. And this book was... Personally, my Bible. I learned with this book. So it's called Not Running Legal Ops as a Business. I just want to put it on my show notes. Running Legal Like a Business. Okay. Legal Like a Business. And it's been published by PLI. And not only did I learn a lot reading that book, but that also validated me in many things that I was already doing. And I just didn't know because that was my gut feeling who told me to do things a certain way. So that's that's good as well to feel validated by people like 
Clooney and the likes. So read books. Uh, I would say listen to podcasts as well. Obviously, your this is very good. There are plenty of others out there. By the way, both in English and in French for those interested. So if if people want to comment on your future LinkedIn post around about our podcast, I will be happy to share my favorites. I would say also connect with legal arts professional. The community is amazing and the whole truth is it's certainly the most welcoming and the most supporting community I've ever had the chance to be a part of. Yeah. I uh, I am just amazed by, by people in this community. People are so supportive and I, that's another thing I really enjoy with this community. It's because there is, again, no curriculum, no path that you have to follow to become a legal ops person. Everybody is learning. Yeah. Everybody is learning on the go. Okay. So everybody is seeking support, yeah. advice, sounding balls to bounce off ideas. So that makes this community extremely alive. Yeah. People are very happy to support each other. So go for it. Scroll your LinkedIn feed. Find people who have a, a career path that you feel inspiring. Go to all of these events. There are so many free events online or, or in person as well. Uh, you can obviously join communities like Plot. You can join also uh, the new community that Mary Whitmer has created, Legal Ops and Censored. You can join the Link community that has been created by Steph Curry. And you may actually see me at some of the events because I'm part of the advisory committee and I know firsthand how very good this community is, very seasonal. You can also attend conferences. Again, there are some free ones. That's obviously the clock, CGI uh, in Vegas and BMA, Verving in London, UK. There is the one of Colin McCarthy, the Mid by the Sea. There is the one I've mentioned by Connie Brenton, the very, very new, much anticipated one uh, in October, uh, running legal like a business. That's also a conference. But those are part of the advice around resources that you have out there to help you understand what it is, if you like it or not, if you feel comfortable within that community or not. The other advice I have, and I will finish here, is that I personally believe that to be successful in legal ops, your own personality needs to align with it. Because you can learn hard skills, but who you are as an individual is equally important. Typically, if you are a problem solver to the core, if you are, well, preferably, by the way, in a creative way, uh, if you're organized, detail-oriented, if you see everything as a project to be managed, if you are able to pivot 180 overnight, if you are comfortable enough with uncertainty, all of that, if you are that in your personal life, you will have a blast as a legal apps professional, because this is who we are. This yep. is what we do. Not day to day. Beautiful. Yeah, I just want to add my experience as well, because the legal operations were, like you rightly mentioned, is so welcoming. I feel so warm when I talk to people, you know, uh, uh, fellow legal operations specialists, especially this podcast wouldn't have reached 10 episodes if it wasn't for the help of a lot of guests who actually showed their trust to, you know, come on the show, especially people like, you know, Mary Widmer, like you rightly mentioned, who, who runs a legal ops uncensored, Leila El Garbi, Cami Paulson, who is uh, like my mentor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's a beautiful, it's a welcoming community. And we're all learning. We, we can't grow in life 
without supporting each other, right? Because it's a community which supports each other. And also, you know, I'm really grateful to you as well because I know that how packed your <laughs> schedule would be on a day-to-day basis. And you showed me that trust and, you know, uh, came on to the show. Uh, you committed to the show like two months back and I'm really glad that we finally did it and I'm really honored to have you on here. Having said that, I know that we are right at time. Uh, it was a fantastic conversation, Laurie. Like again, once again, thank you so much for joining. I'm pretty sure this episode, uh, listening to this episode, you know, listeners get a deeper understanding of legal operations, get an understanding of who you are, and also get the right dose of motivation to look at legal operations as an alternative legal career. Well, thank you, thank you very much, and. Uh... Honestly, I've received so much from this community. If I can help anyone, just my door is open. Just reach out. I may need some time to come back to you. Like you said, I know I'm busy, but um, I've received so much support and help. I just want to give back. So feel free to reach out to everyone. That is awesome. That's awesome. All right. I'll put your uh, LinkedIn, the link to your profile on show notes so that people can, you know, connect with you. Again, thank you so much, Laurie. You have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you, Sid. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.